Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey everyone, welcome into week four, episode four, whatever, number four of <laughs> the Gospel of John. And uh, we're, we're going to make a pact tonight, Rob. We're, uh, we're only going to record this one once. How about that? Once in a row. We only recorded the last one once, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, when they aired, we only recorded once. Yeah, yeah. we so, only yeah. recorded it once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we're only going to go through it. We won't do a practice. We're going to, uh, we're continuing through the Gospel of John. We're inching our way through it, but we're going to have a different theme tonight that we're going to look at. Mm-hmm. So in the first episode we did, you made a comment about how the Holy Spirit it might actually be more important than Jesus in the Gospel of John. Maybe a little hyperbole yeah. there, but uh, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that the Gospel of John has a story from the beginning of the Gospel about new creation. This is the trajectory that the Gospel is on, so that's why John one one in the beginning. We saw that there were seven days in the first two chapters of the story. There's this one week at the at the beginning of the Gospel account. There's also one week at the end of the Gospel account also, and the the resurrection of Jesus is couched in these terms of the first day of the week and chapter 20, verse 1, and then again in chapter 20, verse 19, he's repeating the phrase, the first day of the week, to let us know that the resurrection happens on the first day of the new creation. So, and the way I would say it would be this, and I've said this in a sermon one time, I'm going to say something right now that might sound blasphemous. It's not blasphemous, so let me finish. (laughs) It's going to sound really bad, but it's not actually blasphemous at all. What I'm going to say is, is this, Jesus did not finish the job. Now, as soon as you say that, you're like, well, that's blasphemy. Sorry, I don't care what you say, Rob. You're not going to get around this one. That's blasphemy. Of course, he finished the job. The reason why you say that, well, of course, he finished the job is because we define the job as dying for our sins, rising again, ascending into heaven. He even said it was finished. It is finished. Yeah. So he obviously finished the job. But if the job was to bear God's image and to reflect God's glory to the entirety of creation, to fulfill the role of Adam, of Adam and Eve, the true Israel, then he didn't finish the job. And I think when we understand the role of the Holy Spirit plays in this missional view of the gospel. So if we look at the gospel as missionally, so again, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit's more important than Jesus. I'm just we're saying that to make a point. The gospel of John has a strong stress on this new creation. And this point of the new creation is that God's glory is going to fill the entirety of the earth. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that's the mission of God's people is to carry out that mission because Jesus didn't finish that mission. That's what I mean by it. Mm-hmm. So I think when we look at the gospel this way, then obviously we begin to see what's going on. So, All right. So you started off today's podcast about talking about this creation narrative. Are you looking at the Holy Spirit in terms of when we look at the creation narrative, like the first thing that after, you know, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. The first thing you have after that is the Holy Spirit descending over the earth and, and being involved in creation in some regard. Is that, how, is that how you're making some of this connection? Well, I think the connection with the Holy Spirit ultimately in the gospel of John specifically is Jesus breathes on them. Mm-hmm. John 20 says, receive the Holy Spirit, which is corresponds to Genesis chapter two, verse seven, where God gave uh-huh. the breath of life to uh-huh. Adam. And it's the same word for breathe. And Adam became a living being. The new creation begins with the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's the moment of the new creation. And then the, the thrust of the new creation is this missional call of making God known, which mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time in last week 
on John 1, 1 through 18, Jesus came to make the Father known. And we beheld his glory, and it's the glory of the only begotten. This is who, who Jesus is and what he's doing. And ultimately, the answer is, but he didn't finish that job because he didn't make himself known or the Father known to the entirety of creation. He tells the disciples, you guys go out and do that now. Ah, the mission's being carried out through the person of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So this is similar than I'm, because I'm just thinking creation language now, the job of Adam and Eve are to be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. And that's the job of Israel. And, you know, yeah. you see that theme in the, in the Torah. And this is the job in a sense, you know, go into all nations and make disciples be yeah. fruitful and multiply. You're, you're seeing the same uh, similar type command with different language. Yeah. You might even tie this now to the Abrahamic covenant. And that mm -hmm. is Abraham, go, go and be a blessing. Yeah. And now, of course, in Matthew's gospel, it's go and make disciples. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what be a blessing means is making disciples of all nations. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's referencing uh, Genesis 12 would be where yeah, that uh, Abrahamic covenant three, would be. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's go through the gospel of John and, and trace this theme a little bit. Okay. So it starts in John chapter one, the very first story, as we mentioned last time in the gospel of John is John the Baptist. And we were told, remember in the, in the prologue that he wasn't the light of the world, but he came to be a witness to the light of the world. And John the Baptist says, Hey, behold, the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And this is John chapter one, verse 29. And it says in verse 30, this, he said on behalf of him whom I said, after me comes a man who's higher than I, uh, for he existed before me. And John says, I didn't recognize him, which is kind of interesting, by the way, of itself. We don't have time to delve into that. Mm -hmm. But he says, I didn't recognize him, but so that he might be manifested in Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John said, I have seen the spirit descending on him as a dove out of heaven and remained upon him. I didn't recognize him. This is verse 33. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So the point of that is right from the beginning, the Holy Spirit is going to be the center of Jesus's ministry. John's going to baptize with water, but Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is, I think, the first indication of the Holy Spirit's centrality in the Gospel of John. Hmm. Now, this continues then as we go through of the stories in chapters two, three, and four. And the key to seeing that is to recognize the significance of water in the gospel of John. So John uses the word water way more than Matthew, Mark, and actually he uses it more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. Hmm. And in John, sometimes water symbolizes the older institutions of Judaism that need to be completely transformed. So the ritual water becomes wine in John chapter two. Nicodemus uh, must be reborn in water and spirit, and the, the well water in Samaria must become living water. But water is also, and probably all, in all those instances, a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. And you see this ultimately in John chapter 7, verses 39 through, 37 through 39. So let me go ahead and read that. John 7, verse 37 says, Now on the last day, the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So now we go back and realize, oh, all those stories in chapters two, three, and four were signifying the coming of the Holy Spirit. All right. So you referenced uh, John two and Jesus doing this first, what we call miracle, but John calls it a sign. Mm -hmm. John never uses the word miracle. We talked about that, I believe in episode mm -hmm. one. So he turns water into wine. Mary asks Jesus to help them out because they're at this wedding and they ran out of wine. This would be a huge source of shame, especially for whoever's leading the wedding host yeah. to not provide enough, yeah. especially wine. This is a staple in the ancient world. So in a shame and honor culture, this is a big deal. So Jesus, he replies, and it, it's a little surprising. He says, woman, 
what does this have to do with us? My hour has not come. So that's chapter two, verse four. What does he mean by his hour? And why is he addressing Mary this way? Yeah, well, we can talk about him addressing Mary. This is a little surprising. It's not the normal address of a son to his mother. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. It seems in some ways that he's establishing a polite distancing, like, sorry, woman, calling your mom woman is probably not a good idea, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's probably not as harsh as it sounds. It seems to establish a polite distancing between the two. And remember in Mark's gospel, he's already said, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters, but those who do the will of my father was in heaven. So he's already seemed to be redefining who family is. And that might be indicated here also. But at the same time, it's probably a, respects a, a respectful form of address to Mary. Nonetheless, the question Jesus asks is like, well, what does this have to do with me, with, with you and me? Uh, and he's trying to kind of distance himself from the two and ultimately saying, look, my hour has not yet come. This is our, our first occurrence of this phrase. My hour has not yet come. Well, what's his hour? What, what do we mean by this? And so that's kind of the question we want to look at as we kind of go through the next several chapters. But nonetheless, it's kind of interesting because it's like, well, it's not my hour. And Mary turns around and she goes, hey, by the way, I do whatever he says. <laughs> so even though it's like, hey, woman, you know, my hour has not yet come, seems to us to go like he's not going to do it. It's not as yet his hour. But Mary knows, hey, guys, do whatever he says. Mm-hmm. And of course, he turns around, turns the water into wine. So whatever his hour means at this point in time, it means it's not yet come. And it has some significance because John's going to keep throwing this phrase out there. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not, not yet come. But nonetheless, he does the miracle anyways. Okay. So we move ahead in John 3, and Jesus has this evening encounter with Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee. And normally in the Gospels, the Pharisees are going to be the adversaries of Jesus. Yeah. And remember in the Gospel of John, this irony where the leader of the Sanhedrin turns around and says, has any of us believed in him? Mm. You know, we're like, yeah, yeah, we know a couple, you know, there's this Joseph and there's Nicodemus. Hey guys, speak up. Of course, probably at the expense of their lives. Yeah. In John 3 and John 4, you have now have two stories. And these two stories are clearly written to kind of like to be read alongside one another. One of them is the story of a man named Nicodemus. One's of a Samaritan woman who's not named. One's the teacher of Israel mm-hmm. and one's a Samaritan woman. One's a man, one's a woman, one's a Jew, one's a Samaritan, one's the teacher of Israel, one has no status at all that we know of, one's in the city of Jerusalem, one's out in the country, one's at night, and one's at noon. One is a man who's socially respectable, and the other is a woman who appears to be immoral, and then one, the guy misunderstands, and the other one, the woman comes to believe. So there's no doubt that John's written these two stories for us to kind of look at them alongside one another. Mm-hmm. But in the dialogue with Nicodemus, it says in chapter three, you want to read verses one through five, John three, verses one through five. Sure. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So again, we have this theme of water, right? So we had water and turning water into wine earlier in chapter two. Now we have uh, being born of water and the spirit in chapter three. And so remember that this has a creation theme overriding it. And in the creation account, Genesis one, the spirit hovered over the waters in chapter one, verse two, I believe it is. And then you have God separating the waters above from the waters below. And then you have this horizontal separation of the water from water. So you make separate the water to make the dry ground. So now we're told that you must be born of water and the spirit. And 
the Greek construction probably favors us reading this as the water and spirit being one thing. So it's not like water and spirit. And people mm-hmm. try to make a big deal. Well, what does he mean? But does he mean like physical birth and spiritual birth or whatever? Mm-hmm. Well, probably not if they're both understood as one thing. Gary Burr says it this way, that the dawning of the eschatological era, the new eschatological era, where you're going to be born of water and the spirit. And I think mm-hmm. he tells Nicodemus that a man must be born of water and the spirit, or he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So at this point in time, then we have these two key themes to kind of figure out what's going on with one is what does Jesus mean by his hour? And then secondly, what's going on with water and why is water so significant? And we're going to see that in the next story here in chapter four also. So we move into John chapter four, and this is where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well, and it's the middle of the day. So as you already said, it seems to be these contrasts of the most opposite thing, whether it's timing or location or gender or socioeconomic uh, status. So this seems to be continuing this theme, right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it draws all these themes, sorry for the pun on water, but it draws all these themes to to kind of a a point. Jesus asked for some water and she turns around, she's like, well, you're Jewish and we don't even like talk to each other, let alone the fact that I'm going to give you water. And she's like, hey, look, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water. And she's like, well, give me some of that water. I kind of want that. That'd be great. Cause I'm like, you'll never die or never thirst again. And she's like, you know what? Uh, go tell your husband. She's like, I don't have any husband. He's like, exactly. You know, you've had five and the one you have now is not, is not your husband. And she goes, well, sir, you are a prophet. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the father seeks to be his worshipers. So we got these two themes of water and my hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. But all of a sudden now he's like, well, the hour has come. And the other theme of water is like, you know what? I got living water and you'll never thirst again. The one who believes in me will become a well of water springing up and you'll never thirst again. What's happening now? Well, this is where the passage that we read earlier comes into play. John 7 verses 37 to 39 that you read earlier. And that is these things he spoke of the spirit. And the spirit he had not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Ah, the water is pointing us all along to the spirit. And the hour is associated with this hour of being glorified. So you know, we're going to skip over chapters five, six, and seven right now. But in, in John seven, it says in verse 30, they were seeking to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And then John eight, verse 20 says, no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So all along his hour had not yet come, yet... To the Samaritan woman, he says, the hour has come, or and, and it now is. And so something's going on here that John's trying to get us to draw out, but we can't figure out what it is yet. So let's continue on. Well, so what does that mean, his, his hour had not yet come? Well, and that's, that's ultimately the question, right? Do you want to read John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26? Yeah. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast, These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So verse 23 says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I think a lot of readers, especially the first time through, they haven't really thought about this much, would think, okay, the hour of Jesus' glorification is the resurrection. I mean, this has to be it. But the reality is... I was going to say, but here it's like, it's about suffering. Yeah, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, I love this story because it's like some Greeks come up, and these are probably Greek-speaking Jews, so they're Hellenistic Jews. They're coming up to worship at the feast. And so Hellenistic Jews mean they live outside of Judea, and they adopt Greek customs like the Greek language and Greek clothing. So they're clearly, you know, not locals. They come to Philip. Interestingly, by the way, Philip is the only one of the 12 disciples that has a Greek name. And that would be like the name of Alexander the Great's father, right? Isn't that yeah, the yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. correct. That's right. So they come to Philip. He's the only one of the disciples that has a Greek speaking name. And so Philip doesn't tell us Andrew. I like the way that works. Well. Like Philip can't go to Jesus himself. Yeah. Uh, and Andrew, of course, comes and tells Jesus. They said, uh, hey, Jesus, uh, these Greeks want to speak to you. And Jesus turns around and says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You're like, uh, okay, well, that's great, Jesus, but what does it have to do with the Greeks wanting to speak to you? And look what he says. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, Jesus, that's really, I'm, I'm going to write that one down. Give, just give me a minute. I'm going to, because that's like really, that's poetic. But what does it have to do with the Greeks wanting to speak with you? Mm-hmm. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life. If anyone serves me, you must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Okay, what does this have to do with anything? And I think this is the answer. And that is, in the passage right before this, uh, what we call Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on, uh, riding on the back of a donkey. And the Pharisees say in chapter 12, verse 19, it says, the whole world has gone after him. Mm-hmm. The very next verse, the Greeks want to come see Jesus. And all of a sudden now, we realize, okay, it's time for the mission of, the keep of God's people, the mission of Jesus, to expand outside Israel outside the Jewish people. The Greeks are coming. Ah, Jesus realizes the next phase, if you want to call it that, of the ministry has to take place. And in order for the next phase of the ministry to take place, I have to die. Hmm. So when the Greeks come, Jesus realizes, okay, that means the time now is for me to send you out, empowered by the Spirit, to the nations, and that only happens when I die. So Jesus waxing eloquently actually was relevant to the point. The Greeks want to see him, it means it's time for me to die. And that's what the hour has come. So the hour has come and Jesus' speech has to do with his own death. It has to do with the suffering. You can include the resurrection, of course, in it. Mm-hmm. But for Jesus, mostly it's it's his suffering. For, for the gospel of John, that is. For the gospel of yeah. John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So earlier when I said Jesus didn't finish the job, this is what I mean. The job was for the gospel to go to the nations. And Jesus recognizes that when the nations come to him, oh, it's time now for the mission, the Gentile mission and therefore, unless the kernel of wheat dies, it falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. It's time for me to die. My hour has come. So, and I think that might explain why, by the way, the only other time he says in the Gospel of John previous to this, that the hour has come was when he was speaking with the Samaritan. As long as he was speaking with the Jewish individuals and ministering in Jerusalem and in, and in Judea and Galilee, the hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Sorry, mom, can't do that yet. My hour has not yet come. And so the wine and the turning water into wine signified the coming of the spirit that Jesus was only going to give 
after he dies. Mm -hmm. So mom, it's not my time yet. Oh, okay, well, I'll do this. I'll do this for you now as a kind of a, a prelude to it all. Hmm. And this makes sense because as we've noticed in previous podcasts, so many of the times in John's gospel, when the word world is used, mm -hmm. it's getting us to think like it's not just for Israel. It's, right. it's for Gentiles as well. Right. And so that's, it's like, oh, wow, the Greeks are coming. Guess what? Yep. Look what's playing out now. Look what's unfolding. Stuff, yeah. stuff is moving forward. So we, we see that the hour is applied in terms of this hour of suffering, but now all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but we'll, we'll start to see that the hour is applied to the disciples and any disciple, including mm -hmm. us, right? Right. Yeah. I, I can't underemphasize, I think, how important this is and how often this has been left out of the church today in our, in our conversations. So you can't overemphasize. Is that what I meant? Yeah. 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 I can't overstress this enough. And that is that the mission that Jesus started is the mission that we are called to continue. Now, I'm not saying we're Jesus, but we're supposed to do what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that old fad, you know, 25 years ago, what would Jesus do? Mm -hmm. Well, kind of great, but it makes it basically like, like this ethical thing. What would yeah. Jesus do in this situation? Well, he'd turn the water into wine and solve the problem, but you can't do that. So not an option for you. Mm -hmm. um, he'd raise the guy from the dead. But the problem with that is we fail to recognize the fact that we're supposed to do the same thing. And when we get to the book of Acts, we're going to see this, what Acts is telling us, by the way, that the Peter and Paul were doing what Jesus did. They're doing the same story. And I think we're doing the same thing now. So all of a sudden now the hour has come is now applied to the disciples. So in John 16, verse two says, you know what, guys, they're going to make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. And so notice an hour is coming when they kill you and think they're doing religious duty. Hmm. Verse 32, chapter 16, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home and to leave me alone. So this certainly continues to develop throughout the gospel of John, but we need to recognize that the hour of Jesus' glorification is now being applied to, to the disciples and then to us. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it and hopefully it's blessing you. Hey, do us a favor, if this is something that you are digging, if it's helping you, if it's uh, encouraging you, take a second just to like it, give it a review, give it you know five stars if you think it's five star worthy, uh, share it with your friends. And we just wanna get this out to more people. Uh, this isn't something that we're in for the bucks, but it's something that we wanna encourage and equip people with. So do that, help us out. And now we'll get back to the podcast. So then, how does this all relate to the coming of the spirit, which we don't see specifically in the ministry of Jesus? We see this after in John's gospel, I guess we see this right at the end when he breathes yeah. upon them. So in the gospel of John, this is what it's been anticipating this all along. Mm -hmm. He spoke this of the spirit in John 7, 37 to 39, but the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So I think this is how we read John 14. So again, John 14, now we've kind of misread this also. Oh, Jesus is saying, you know, it's for your good that I go, because I'm going to go up to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place up in heaven for you. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you up there. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is not going to do justice to the reading of John chapter 14 for yeah. all, all kinds of reasons. But in John 14, verse 16, he says, I'm going to ask the father and he's going to give you another helper. And the word helper, parakletos in Greek, uh, the problem with helper is helper kind of implies someone subordinate. Um, but, or, or like you could do it on your own. And this guy's just kind of come yeah, alongside you. Yeah, that's you. a good, that's a good yeah. point too, right? So some translations will say another counselor, mm -hmm. and that has too many 
understandings of like laying on a couch and someone there to mm-hmm. help counsel you and guide you Freudian along the way. type thing. Yeah. yeah. It can also be translated as an advocate. And in, and in 1 John chapter 2, it actually means an advocate. We have mm-hmm. an advocate before the Father, which is actually applied to Jesus there. And so note that it says another helper, another counselor, another advocate. And by the way, some translations just say another paraclete. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Greek word is parakletos. And what you're doing there is you're saying, this word can't be translated by any one English word. So we're going to leave it as the Greek word and hope that you know what it means. And this is a good example, by the way, of, of looking at multiple versions of your, in your Bible. Uh, I've, I've kind of always kind of stamped down a little bit of word searches and word studies, because I think that can be dangerous because we mm-hmm. read in the words meaning that might not actually be there. And the meaning of a word is actually that's present in this context. But you have an example like this where the word paraclete can't be translated very well by any one English word. So when you open up your English Bibles, and you have a variety of them, and you can go to BibleGateway.com, mm-hmm. and you can look at any translation, English translation you want. You find five or six of them, and one says helper, one says advocate, one says counselor. You're like, okay, this word must mean all of the above. You know, It's not like one's right and the other one's wrong. It's just that one says, I'd rather stress the helper part. Well, I'd rather stress the counselor part. I'd rather stress the legal advocate part, which probably is not the correct meaning here in John 14, but it is in, in 1 John chapter 2. So nonetheless, the point of that is, I'm going to give you another, another counselor, another helper, another advocate, that he may be with you forever. Mm. And that's a big distinction now. Now, note, Jesus wasn't with them forever mm-hmm. because A, he left, but B, sometimes he was off praying. And when he was off praying, he wasn't, you know, they're, they're searching diligently for him in Mark chapter 1. Where did he go? Verse 26 says in John 14, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. 1526 again, it says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he'll testify about me. Mm-hmm. Then chapter 16, verse seven, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the context of the speech of Jesus in, uh, in John 14. He's saying, I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare a place for you here. The mm-hmm. place I'm preparing for you is here. And that place that I'm preparing for you is for the Holy Spirit to come. And he even says in John 14, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. So if the idea was Jesus is going to go to heaven, prepare a place for us there, and then he's going to come back and take us up there, and he's not going to leave us as orphans, then he left them as orphans. I don't know how you want to do the math, but the fact is these guys lived 20, 30, 40 more years, and he never came back and took them up to heaven. They died and maybe then went up there. He left them as orphans. But he, he goes on to say, I'm going to send the spirit and we will come to you. Mm-hmm. And it's the coming of Jesus in the person of the spirit. That's why Matthew's gospel can say, and lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age, because he is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, this is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, 22 to 38. So if you're listening at home and you're able to stop and kind of open up your Bibles or whatever, kind of look at the whole text, maybe pause the recording, kind of look at the whole text. So Ezekiel 36, verse 22 through 38, describes this restoration of God's presence amongst his people. And it says in verse 22, therefore said to the house of Israel, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my sake, for the sake of my holy name. And he goes on to say in verse 24, I'm going to take you from the nations. I'm going to gather you from all the lands. I'm going to bring you into your own land. In verse 25, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. Uh, There's the water. And I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Verse 26. Moreover, I'm going to give you a new, a new heart 
I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I'm going to remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ordinances. And you'll be careful to obey all my ordinances. You'll live in the land that I gave your forefathers and you'll be my people and I'll be your God. And it goes on to describe this. And of course, it uses this Eden language as we go a little bit further. Verse 35, this land will be, that has become desolate will become like the Garden of Eden. And the wastes and desolate and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. Ah, there you go. It's not only the restoration of God's presence, it's the restoration of Eden that God's going to bring about. And notice, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, and you're going to be clean, and I'm going to put my spirit within you. This is what John's been getting at all along of the coming of the spirit, the restoration of God's people, the restoration of them to the land, and the restoration of God's presence amongst his people. And now you're empowered to go out and preach the gospel to all the nations. Yeah, and to, to your point, in as you look through chapter 14, uh, it's not this idea that he's going to prepare a place for you in outer space that yeah. he's going to then take all the Christians off the uh, you know off the globe and and take them somewhere else for a period of time. Yeah, and verse two, in my father's house are many dwelling places. Mm -hmm. The word for dwelling places, meno, is repeated only one time in the noun form, and it's in verse twenty three that you quoted. We will come to him and make our abode with him. Mm -hmm. That's the same word. In my father's house are many dwelling places. And the answer is, and we'll come and make our abode with you. Mm -hmm. Ah, there you go. The dwelling place is actually us with you, the spirit and the father and ultimately the son dwelling within you. And now we're empowered to fulfill this mission. If we continue on, that's chapter 14, chapter 15 and 16. Yep. This is all part of the upper room discourse that Jesus is, is giving. It's, it's all part of the same speech. So we don't want to yep. limit the chapter and verse divisions. Those right. are, those are helping things that have been put in, you know, a few hundred years ago, but don't stop there. This right. is all part of one thing. And Jesus is continuing on this Pentecostal uh, type sermon where it's yep. very Holy spirit, you know, focused here. That's right. That's why we kind of alluded to a few verses in, in yeah. 14, 15 and 16 and John 13, by the way, he washed the disciples feet. Mm -hmm. And Peter's like, Lord, you know, you can't wash my feet. Look, if I don't wash your feet, then you won't be clean. And you'll have no part in my, in my ministry, no share in this ministry. That's Ezekiel 36. Mm -hmm. I'll wash you and make you clean. I'm going to give you a new spirit within you. I'll give you a new heart. Peter, if I don't wash you, you're not going to be this new creation. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's why. So even John 13, preparing them for service as temple servants, as priests within God's temple. Yeah. And, and this was your point in the beginning where you weren't being heretical, but you're just saying Jesus didn't finish the mission. It, you're being hyperbolic there, but it's like, no, it's, it's for us now. He is leaving so we could do something. Yeah, exactly. And I say this because you see so many people that their job is to sit in the congregation mm -hmm. and to sit in the pew two out of every four weeks. And their contribution is their tithe mm -hmm. and their presence. And it's like, folks, you know, I know I've seen churches that have done this. I didn't ever, never did this at my church, but they have signs in the parking lot saying you're now entering the mission field. Mm. The, of course, inside the church is the mission field also. But sure. I think that's great. It's like, okay, look, you guys, this is what we all do. This is not something paid ministers alone do as though it's some special uh, dispensation that only we get. No, it's all yeah. of us that have this mission because we're all empowered by the, by the spirit and we all take his presence with us. And it's not like, oh, we have to go preach the gospel every time everywhere we go, as we've discussed before. It's living out the gospel of Jesus Christ They'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. When we do that, when we're different from the world, then the world goes, okay, tell me more about what this is going, what's going on here. Mm -hmm. We're manifesting Christ. People get attracted by that because of the Holy Spirit. We're all called to do this. 
our next episode is going to air on Thursday. So this one, of course, if you're listening to it on a Tuesday, as you normally do, we're going to release an episode on Tuesday next week on the issue of abortion. We have a wonderful interview with Andy Smith that you are not able to make, unfortunately. But we interviewed Andy Smith to talk about the issue of abortion and Roe versus Wade and all that stuff that's going on. It's going to be a really awesome conversation. I encourage you to listen to that. And then on Thursday, we'll release our Gospel of John study number five. Perfect. Great. Thanks, everyone. See you guys later. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.